Good morning, everybody. We are really happy to be here for a moment. We thought maybe we wouldn't make it uh, this weekend, at least not my wife and, and our daughter, because there was sickness uh, a little bit in the house. Uh, we were supposed to come Friday, but then with the runny nose of our daughter and the, the eyes full of water and, and all the rest, we, we decided to stay back in Pennsylvania Friday, spend the night, rest, and then the plan was to leave at 6 a.m. to make sure we got here for the conference. Uh, but you never know how it's going to go with a baby when they fall asleep, if it's going to be a good night and she'll get better by the next morning or worse. So we, didn't, we weren't sure what to expect. Uh, but praise God, she got better. Uh, we didn't leave at 6 a.m., so we missed, unfortunately, half the conference. Uh, more than half, probably. But we got here last night, and uh, we're thankful to be here. And the whole family's here, so it's not just me. I know uh, some people like to see me, but most people like to see my wife. She's much more exciting. Um, and that's why I married her, <laughs> because she's much more exciting. Uh, anyway, our text for this morning is going to be uh, 1 Thessalonians, if you want to turn there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to read uh, from verse 17 to the end of the chapter, and then the first five verses of chapter 3 as well. Uh, so just a little background before we go ahead and read our text, pray, and then, and then get into uh, this passage a little bit and open it up for us today. Uh, so we have here uh, the Apostle Paul. And uh, we can read about this, his trip to Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17. If you wanted to get a little background on what happened, how this church took form, why there's this body of believers that he's writing to, you would go to Acts chapter 17 and read the first, I believe it's eight verses. And there we see that Paul spent about three weeks, uh, roughly three weeks in that area, preaching the gospel, leading people to Jesus Christ, bringing the gospel to them, bringing them to Jesus Christ, and, and discipling them, teaching them what it means to be a body of believers, the body of Christ, and how to live rightfully in this world with the time uh, that remained for them and for us as well. And uh, he had to leave, though, we'll see. He had to escape, go to another place. He was forced out after just three weeks, and, uh, but his heart was with these folks, and he wanted to find out how they're doing. He finally heard from them. He actually got good news, and he was able to write this letter in response to what he heard about their faith and their, their standing firm in the faith, living for Jesus Christ faithfully. He wrote this letter, which we're reading here today. Uh, so he, he expressed in the first part of this book uh, his, his love and his passion for them, how he uh, was among them without asking anything from them, how he uh, was like a parent to them, caring for them, wanting them well, wanting to see them well established. And, uh, and then we get here to this section of Scripture uh, where we're at today. This is what we read. Chapter 2, verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope? or joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming. Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions, For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, we, we still ourselves before you this morning, and we acknowledge our need for you. We acknowledge our need for your living word to enter our hearts, to transform us from within, to renew our minds. Man does not live on bread alone. This is what you taught us, Lord. And as we open your word now and we dive into it, Lord, I pray that your spirit would be at work in my mind, in my heart, to speak with clarity and faithfully from this text, and in every single heart here to receive what you would have each of us receive today. And through this time we share together now in your word, Lord, I pray that you would be working to transform us more into the image of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. More information, more knowledge is not exactly what we need, though it's helpful. We need to be transformed more into your image, that we may live faithfully according to the calling that you've given each of us, corporately as the body of Christ, but also individually in the unique tasks you've given each of us in this time of our lives. We want to be able, by your grace, to endure whatever things you would call us to endure, to see the things we have to endure, the afflictions, in the light of the gospel, of the good news, of who we are, our new identity in Christ, in light of your love towards us that never ends, your perfect love, which casts away all fear. So work to that end, we pray, this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. The word uh, deconstruction, are you guys familiar with that? Have you heard of people maybe who have deconstructed their faith? You don't have to say anybody's name, but raise your hand if you know of anyone who has deconstructed or perhaps left the faith, who was once walking with Christ. Okay, yeah. A number of us know different people who have been walking with the Lord faithfully at one time, and then today no longer they are. Uh, This is a real thing, and it happens today. It's kind of a trend even, I would say. I've heard of different people quote-unquote, deconstructing and going into apostasy. Uh, perhaps they, they find something uh, difficult that they just can't digest. The Word of God perhaps is too harsh to them. They can't understand why God would do certain things. Uh, or perhaps even as we heard yesterday uh, out of, uh, regarding uh, sexuality and this heavy push on culture today uh, for gender and, and all this kind of stuff, uh, perhaps some people have a really difficult time with that and they don't feel that that's loving to, to speak uh, out against those things and reveal the will of God and, and how we're to live as creatures in this world. Uh, many people uh, have, have, have found difficulty, have found trouble or affliction and chosen to forsake the Lord and, and walk away. Uh, hardship, affliction, difficulty, maybe even within the church, and people often find an excuse to then leave the church. I'm convinced that uh, this often happens as a result of a a weak understanding of God's sovereignty. If we consider God's sovereignty, I think Christians all across the board, all over the planet, if you ask them, do you believe in the sovereignty of God, almost all Christians would acknowledge, yes, of course I believe in the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. But if we get into the particulars to understand what does it mean exactly that God is sovereign, I think there's very few of us actually who have a firm grip on what it means that God is sovereign, that no single thing happens in this world apart from his decree, apart from his understanding of it and having a purpose even within it. Our God really is sovereign and he does uh, whatever he pleases. But I'm convinced uh, a weak understanding of God's sovereignty is one key reason why many people, when difficulty comes while following Christ, they find a way to get out. And I'm convinced at the same time, another reason people leave is a low quality of discipleship, a low quality understanding of what it means in the first place to follow Jesus Christ, to be his disciple, 
to take up the cross and to follow after uh, Jesus Christ. So today, as we dive into this text a little bit, ultimately, I want us to really consider uh, how are we seeing and how are we reacting to the afflictions that we face? Our afflictions are not necessarily like Paul the Apostle. I doubt any of us at one time had to escape out of a window in a basket to get to another town and escape persecution. Uh, I doubt many of us will endure the many things that Paul had to endure, but affliction, difficulty, and trials, all of us for sure face them at all different uh, walks of our life. Uh, So we want to see how are we reacting when afflictions come. And secondly, I want us to learn today how to respond rightly or as, as Christians in times of affliction. There is a right way to see and to understand affliction and to respond to it when it comes. And if we don't have a good vision of this, when difficulty comes, we may find ourselves among those who drift away from the church, those who no longer are walking faithfully with the Lord. And we certainly don't want uh, to be in that position. Let's dive into verse 17 now. We're going to walk through this a little bit and arrive to a uh, a few key applications that I believe all of us can take with us this week and this day. We start off in verse 17. But, but since we were torn away from you, Paul says to them, since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face. We're reminded here that Paul is, is revealing to them over and over, it wasn't my plan to leave so early from your midst. Paul the missionary, there with them to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to see a church uh, solidified with a foundation, able to grow and grow for years to come. It wasn't his intent, he's making clear again, to leave so soon. I had no other choice. And we can understand here as well that there were likely the same people that forced him to flee, the Jews that were persecuting him and his companions, and forced them to flee. Likely they were coming in afterwards telling the Thessalonians, are you still listening to what that guy Paul told you? You're really taking serious what he had to say? He forsook you. He left. How could you actually listen to what that man had to say? He's a fraud. He's, he's just after your money, perhaps, uh, they were saying to the Apostle Paul. Previously in, in, this, uh, in this chapter, he even points out, we labored night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you. And I believe personally that's a great application for a missionary as well. When you're working in another context, in another place, don't ever take their money. Some people will, and they, they, like pastors need to be cared for, but the beauty of missionaries is they, they receive their funding. They receive their support from the brothers and sisters back home who sent them out. They depend on God, and God works through the church, sends them out of the church with everything they need to do the work and not be a burden to anybody to make it clear. We have no personal agenda. We have nothing to gain from you. We're here among you, preaching the gospel, spending our lives, not for anything we're going to get from you, but to bless you. We received freely, and we, uh, freely we uh, give it to you as well. Paul had that uh, practice, and I believe it's a, a good biblical practice for any missionary uh, to apply. But he says here, we were torn away. Other translations say we were orphaned from you. We can understand it was a hard thing for Paul. He didn't want to have to leave. It wasn't his desire. And over and over again, he, he reminds them, you know, you know, he says, you know this, you remember this. Remember how I was among you, how I cared for you. He makes it clear. He's, he's making a defense of sorts as to his apostolic ministry. But he, uh, for a short time, he, so he makes it clear he also intended to come back. And I, I do need to get back to you, he says. I was with you, though, in person, or not in person, but in, in spirit. So my heart was still with you. Again, expressing this is uh, ministry is based out of love for other people, love for God, and then love for other people as well, for your neighbor And especially, as in the case here, for those who received the word rightly. We can be sure Paul, he loved all sorts of people. 
even those who were persecuting him. But we can also be sure he loved especially the body of Christ, those who rightly received the word of God. When they heard Paul preach here, he says earlier, they received it not as the word of man, but as the word of God for what it really is. Those who receive rightly the word of God, who are now part of the family of Jesus Christ, we have a special relationship all the more. And, uh, and Paul here is acknowledging that, that we're now family. I cared for you and I want to get back. So he, he goes on in verse 17, we endeavored the more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face. To see you face to face. And this reminds me as I think about it, uh, the face to face. Many of us, we just, we, all of us actually, we went through the, the COVID craziness and three years of difficulty and complications. And sometimes the face to face thing wasn't so much possible for us, right? We had to do, at times, weeks or months of not being with the body of Christ, not being with each other at times. Uh, and then there was illness, at least in Italy, there was lockdowns, and we couldn't go out of a city, we couldn't go out of a, a region, all kinds of craziness. Uh, but the face-to-face thing is really important. Uh, we can do video calls. We're blessed with that nowadays. We can do video calls. Uh, we can do even, uh, like we do, podcasts with video and with audio. People can still hear from us. Uh, but there is something about being face-to-face. And a good example is we send out a newsletter once in a while. And in a newsletter, the, the latest one that I sent out, I mentioned, oh, by the way, my wife, there's big news. My wife is pregnant. We got her third child on the way. And uh, so I'm like, okay, I told everybody the news. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't need an applause, but that's okay. It is exciting. Yeah. Um, but so I let everybody know, okay, I'm thinking the newsletter's out. Everybody knows my wife is pregnant. There's another baby coming. That's fantastic. And then about six weeks later, I shared a photo of her belly. And all of a sudden, oh, wow, this is great news. I had no idea you were pregnant. <laughs> and uh, when they saw it, it wasn't quite face-to-face necessarily, but when they saw the photo, everybody, oh, yeah, she is pregnant. That's Reading it, maybe you'll get it, maybe you won't. Maybe you skim over stuff. Even in your Bible reading, some things stick out more than others. Uh, but the face-to-face thing is important, and, and, and relationships are very important. God made us as creatures in need of good relationship, right? Uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, our triune God has relation among himself. There's, there's harmony, there's peace. And we, uh, as image bearers of God, we're also called to be in relationship with other people, especially in the body of Christ. But right relationships, good relationships, are actually only really possible once we're right with our maker first. Once we've come to understand this glorious gospel that Paul was preaching to these folks here, once we begin to uh, realize we're in need of salvation and we repent of our sins, we turn from our sin, we embrace Jesus Christ by faith, acknowledging that he's the one who did it all for us. We can't earn it. We can't gain our salvation. But he went on the cross for us in our place after living perfectly for us as well in our place. The great exchange happens. He takes our sin to the cross. In exchange, he gives us his righteousness. He declares us righteous. Once we're right with God and we're truly alive, born of the Spirit of God, we have right relationship with God, then we can experience real and meaningful relationships as well with our brothers and sisters the face-to-face thing was something important to Paul and I would encourage all of us as well as much as possible get together create excuses and reasons to get together it's a good thing for the brothers and sisters to dwell together Uh, we should never forsake even uh, the, the gathering together on the Lord's Day it's the most joyful time for the Christian every week it's the it's the Uh, the highlight of every week we live Sunday to Sunday where we get to be together with the body of Christ it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Paul understood it face to face. I want to be with you. It's not enough that I read a letter. I desire eagerly to be there with you. And I would encourage each of us today, consider how is your desire for the body of Christ, for your brothers and sisters? Let it be that you also desire 
that you look for ways to either have people in your home or go to visit them or to do stuff and be involved with your brothers and sisters. For us, it's been such a blessing being back here in the States. When we're laboring in the trenches, this is one thing that we often can be lacking. At times, there's seasons when the ministry is booming, lots of people, you know, and, and we're very busy. Other times, things are complex and harder. Not many people are getting saved in the moment. And so when we're back, after like a, a previous season when we were there in Italy, to be among all of you face-to-face is a wonderful, great thing. It's been very encouraging for us. One of the highlights of our four months here has simply been sitting down uh, with our friends, uh, having a meal together, enjoying simply talking about everyday life stuff, praying together, hearing each other, talking. It's a really, really uh, wonderful thing. Let us keep on enjoying the face-to-face stuff. Some could even argue it was, it was a foolish thing. Why, Jesse, would you? You have only two days before you leave to go back to Italy. You've got tons of luggage to pack and things to organize and all kinds of things to do. It doesn't really make much sense to drive four, four and a half hours to New York just to stay there for 24 hours before you fly away. To the world, that, that would probably make sense. Yeah, it's not very practical. But for us, it's extremely important to travel whatever the distance necessary to be here with you all our last Sunday before we leave. Even if we leave after worship today and we quick eat a, uh, un piatto di spaghetti uh, with, with Chiara, uh, Chiara and Pepito. We're going to have some pasta after church today. And then we've got to quick get on the road and get back to Pennsylvania. Even though it's rushed, it's worth it, extremely worth it. It's very good for us to be here. This is our church family. You guys are our church family. And we don't want to go back to Italy being with any other church before we go back. We want to be with you all here. Uh, it's worth it. Face-to-face time, really being together is important. Let's not linger there any longer, though. Let's go on to verse 18 and, and keep moving forward. Uh, because, he says, we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Another great verse here. Um, I wanted to come to you. Paul could have considered, well, God is sovereign, and I had to escape out of that place. I could no longer stay there. God will take care of them. They're on their own. Now I just need to get busy and get on with whatever is next. He could have reasoned in that way, the Apostle Paul. But I believe he reveals something to us uh, that's important here as well. He wanted to come to you again and again. He didn't just forget about them. They were family. We don't forget about family. We look out for each other. We keep each other in our prayers. And as much as possible, we make a way to be involved in each other's lives. He wanted to come back. And then he says here, Satan hindered us. And this is a great mystery for us as we read. We don't know exactly how is it that Satan hindered Paul the Apostle and his companions. In what way did Satan hinder? No commentators know, no scholars know. It's not really something that Paul decided to reveal to us exactly how. But I think it's important for us to remember that if uh, Satan is going to work, and he does, to hinder anything or anyone, it usually is involved when, when there's the preaching of the gospel happening when there's evangelization happening, that's when Satan gets off his chair, so to speak, to get involved, to somehow hinder. It could have been through something physical. It could have been through uh, something spiritual. It could have been a variety of uh, complications, uh, lies and deceptions and, and accusations that Satan was making, perhaps, to hinder. It could have been a plethora of different things, but usually we'll find it to be true. If he's going to hinder, it's when you or I, when we decide to go out and obey Jesus Christ and to open our mouths, and to proclaim the good news, and to engage with lost souls, and help them to question what it is they're living for, and what they actually believe, and have them encounter Jesus Christ through the preaching of the gospel. When we get involved in that, Satan gets agitated. I believe it with all my heart. I've seen it to be true over and over again. 
Uh, things can go smooth and well in ministry. Bible studies, smooth and well. Satan's not really interested in interrupting Bible studies, though they're very important. Uh, church gathering, Satan's not too concerned about keeping us from coming to church as long as we don't go out to the lost people. Once we start doing that, stuff starts to happen. And I've read, I don't know how many uh, evangelism teams over the years, many, many evangelism teams, and I've seen it to be true almost every time. When a group of believers get together with the intent of going out to the people to evangelize, to talk with them, to converse, and to proclaim the good news, something always comes up. I warn people ahead of time. Stuff probably will happen. Remember why you're here. Remember what you're doing. Keep focused. Pray and uh, endure. Endure. Forbear with one another. Don't let little things create problems. And often I believe in the church today, it can happen as well in fighting. Because when we take our eyes off of reaching the people outside of the church, when we take our eyes off of actively obeying Jesus, going to the lost intentionally to evangelize, to bring them to Christ, when we stop doing that, all of a sudden we get a little nitpicky about details within the church. I don't know, Susie, about that carpet choice, that color you chose. I think it really messes up the worship service. Or the parking lot. I don't know who painted those lines out there, but man, that's not the right shade of white that I wanted to see. All kinds of problems can come up that are really silly things if you think about it. But when we're focused on reaching the lost, equipping one another, discipling one another, so we can actively also engage lost people faithfully, all that other stuff really does fall by the wayside. It's not really that important anymore, isn't it? It's good for us to remember one of our key purposes as the church, not just inward, but also to go out to the people. Satan hindered us, he said. He was limited in some capacity. The Apostle Paul. But we also know here, and it's the last thing I'll mention on this verse before we uh, move on. Let, it, let us remember as well, Satan is limited himself. He, uh, he can't do anything that God doesn't allow him to do. Uh, there is a, a, a common uh, thought where God would be here and Satan over here, and there's this cosmic battle between God and Satan. It's not healthy to think of it like that at all. Satan is, we need to remember this, a created being. He answers to his maker as well. God is here, sovereign over it all, Satan down here. And some would argue even as well that Jesus has actually bound the strong man and all that he was doing before Christ's coming and defeating him on the cross is not, uh, all that he was doing before was, was much worse than it is actually now. Now he's like a defeated foe, a dog on a chain, and not actually able to do as much. And that's why for 2,000 years, the gospel unhindered has continued to go out century after century, transforming lives, transforming families, transforming cities, society, culture at large. And it's a glorious, uh, beautiful thing. Uh, so let us never give too much praise or, or acknowledgement to Satan. He's strong, he's powerful, but he is a defeated foe, and he is a created being subject to our master, to the Lord of all the lords, Jesus Christ. Verse 19, he goes on here in our, in our text. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul's reminding us here that uh, those who believe rightly in the gospel, those who receive Christ as their Lord, as their Savior, they bow the knee to the King, the one who already is Lord. They acknowledge his Lordship. They're now part of the body of Christ. And in this case, he goes on to say they're even his, uh, their glory and joy. He just reminds them, you're precious to us. You're precious to God. He purchased you with his own blood, with his own son. Don't forget that. Moving on, though, I like to connect these two passages. So now, uh, chapter 3 we are, but they actually connect, and we have this, uh, the start of chapter 3, therefore. So in light of all that we've heard, in light of these ideas, this desire of Paul to be among them, this desire of his to, to go to them, 
He says, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith. A few things worth uh, stating here is, uh, again, he had real care for them. He was actually worried. What if they didn't take seriously what I told them? What if the Jews who persecuted me are ravaging also them and, and maybe the church is no longer together? Maybe they're not gathering. Maybe they're unfaithful. I need to know what's going on. He says, I was willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and he goes on and he sends Timothy. And uh, I would argue that uh, for Paul, we could perhaps just read this and, and glance over it and not realize what Paul is actually saying. The last thing, I'm convinced with all my heart, the last thing a missionary ever desires is to labor alone in the trenches. At best, if you're a missionary without a band of other missionaries with you, co-workers, co-laborers in the gospel, at best, you're very limited. What you can do is very limited. It's kind of like uh, you're, you're plowing a field and you don't have a tractor. All you have is your own muscles and uh, the tools that you can hold to stir the ground. At the end of the day, you get a little bit done and you're dead exhausted. You hit the bed and you fall asleep right away because you're exhausted. At best, you're very limited. When you have a team of others with you, all of a sudden you got some machinery, you got some horses perhaps to pull the plows, maybe tractors, and you're covering more ground, getting more done, and you go to bed and your muscles aren't aching. You can sleep without pain at night. So at best, you're very limited without other missionaries. At worst, perhaps you go astray to the left or to the right. We need the body of Christ. We need other believers around us, even in the simple things like reasoning and doing everyday things. Good ideas can come to mind. And then when you talk to somebody else, you can realize that good idea was actually quite stupid. That was not a good idea because you didn't know about this or that, and the other people around you might know about this or that, which would lead you off the edge of a cliff, perhaps, or to be bit by a snake. All kinds of things could happen. Uh, so it's important to work together with others. For Paul to send Timothy, one of his precious co-workers, somebody necessary for the ministry to flourish, for him not to be overworked, for him not to go astray, it was a big thing to send Timothy, actually, to give up a co-worker and send him over there. And so I think it's important for us to acknowledge that as he writes this, not just to pass over, oh, sure, he sent Timothy. They didn't have vehicles. They didn't have airplanes, right? It was a, a, a several-day or week, even month, perhaps, endeavor to give up a co-worker. It wasn't just for a couple hours. But he sends him to establish, we read here, and to exhort you in the faith, to strengthen and to encourage, we read in other translations. And I think it's a good reminder for each of us today. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have acknowledged him as Lord, you've, you've trusted him as your Lord and your Savior, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you need to be well-discipled or also discipling. You need to be involved in discipling others, caring about the well-being of those around you, investing in other people's lives, giving up time, going out of your way to care for each other, to to see others built up, exhorted, and encouraged. And it's exactly what uh, Timothy, his task was to do among them. Also, though, for the specific aspect of seeing this church solidified, and probably elders trained as well, so they can be uh, sufficient on their own. We could say more there, but we'll leave it for now. Uh, we'll move on. In verse 3, as we close out uh, our text, that no one be moved by these afflictions. Uh, this is one thing that really sticks out to me in this text and something that we're going we're gonna to look at in a little more detail. Uh, that no one be moved by these afflictions or disturbed by these afflictions. We mentioned at the beginning how people can deconstruct. We mentioned how it is possible for people to be walking well with the Lord one day and find a way somehow to distance themselves from the body of Christ, distance themselves from the church, to be moved because of afflictions. 
Paul's desire here was that in the afflictions that they're facing, that they be moved not further from Christ, not further from their brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, but closer. The, the terrible mistake that many times we can make is when difficulty comes, we distance ourselves from what we need most, actually. Perhaps it could be like someone who's gravely ill and says, well, I don't like doctors. I'm going to do this myself. Big mistake. You should probably see the ones who are experts at making you get better, right? That's usually a good thing to do. Not always, but usually it's a good idea to consider that. Moved by these afflictions. You yourselves know that we are destined for this, he says. Let's read in Luke 9 briefly. I just want us to uh, be reminded what he's getting at here when he talks about afflictions and how we're destined for this, for some kind of affliction. It could be, Paul, that he's speaking to them and he knew something specific was going to happen to this body of believers in their time. But I think we can safely argue and say this is something true for each of us today. Afflictions, difficulties, they will be there. Tribulations, uh, we've been warned about these kinds of things. But just uh, healthy for us to remember, I want to read for us from Luke 9, verse 23 and 24. We read this. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. If we are Christians today, if we identify as uh, disciples of Jesus Christ, let us be mindful there is a daily carrying of the cross, a denying yourself. It's part of the deal. It's part of the call from the very beginning. Often, Jesus would warn uh, those who wanted to follow him, I want you to really count the cost about what you're, what you're talking about. Consider seriously before you become my disciple. He gave these kinds of warnings. And I believe Paul, among the Thessalonians here as well, and we read it in just a moment, he gave warning to them as well. The gift is free. It's to be received. By grace through faith, you're saved. Repent, believe, be born of the Spirit of God, be new, a new creature in Christ. But remember, to follow him, it will cost you. And how many of our difficulties would vanish just in a moment, even today, if we just simply remembered there is a cost to following our Lord and our Master, Jesus Christ. But even though it's a cost, we need to consider it's also a great privilege that he's given us to follow him. It's a high calling to lay down our lives, to serve others, to actively look for ways to serve others to the glory of God. To not focus on ourselves so much, but to look at actively waking up. Who can I bless today? How can I be of encouragement to somebody today? To consider these things, a drastically different way of life that we live as Christians. I've been to uh, unbelievers' homes uh, in this time while we're here in the States, and it surprises me. They don't sometimes even think about the simple things that we Christians are used to thinking about. If we have people to our house as Christians, we offer stuff to give them, a drink, a coffee, a meal. We pull out extra stuff we have put away for special occasions because we want to bless those who come into our home. The unbeliever doesn't necessarily think like that. And it was a good reminder for me to see that while we're here. We we're staying at someone's house and simply organizing what to eat for lunch. Didn't even come to mind because they just do their own thing and everybody's on their own. We are really a special people in this world, salt and light, and it's God's design for us. Um, so yeah, in any case, afflictions, discipleship, to be a disciple involves carrying a cross. 
denying yourself and following after the Lord. In Philippians 1.29, Paul reminds everyone that don't, don't think that you are uh, called just, well, let's read it, let's read it. First, uh, or, or Philippians 1, verse 29. Turn with me real quick if, if you have it. Philippians 1.29. It's good for us to hear this. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also what? But also suffer for his sake. It's been granted to you to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. These afflictions Paul mentions to the Thessalonians uh, were destined for them. It's part of carrying the cross, but don't forget It's been granted to us to believe, but also to suffer for his sake, to endure hardship and to do it well. If we're destined to do it, by God's grace, let's do it well. Don't let suffering and persecution and affliction move us away from what matters most, away from Christ, but let it be something that moves you closer to the word, closer to the the body of Christ. He goes on, uh, closing out, for when uh, we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Verse 4, Chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians. Just as it has come to pass and just as you know, Paul discipled these folks well from the beginning. He gave them a good foundation. And it's our job as well to make sure we have a solid foundation and to give others, new believers, a solid foundation from the beginning. Are you familiar with the Tower of Pisa in the country of Italy? What is the Tower of Pisa famous for? It's leaning. It's very crooked. Now, what most folks here in the States don't, don't know is there's probably there's a leaning tower in almost every city in, in, in Italy. <laughs> They're all leaning a little bit, and they put you know, beams and stuff to keep them from falling over. But that one's leaning, and it's really big, and it's really beautiful, so it's kind of the famous one. And it's leaning more, perhaps, than the others. But it's, it's crooked. Now, if, if, if you have this tower, and the foundation is not stable, and it's crooked, there's only so much you can do. You can build to a certain height, and if you keep building, it'll eventually just collapse. So many of us, if we don't have a solid foundation, our understanding of theology, of sound doctrine, of what it means to be a believer, can only arrive so high. If we keep adding, eventually it will collapse because our foundation is distorted. If the foundation is short and straight, we can continue growing in grace all the time. It's extremely important as we start our walk with Jesus Christ to make sure we have a solid foundation. Paul did that. How did he do it in this case? He gave them warning about what it means, first of all, to be a Christian, how it all happens. We can be sure he preached that clearly, how one becomes a Christian in the first place, what it means to be born in the Spirit of God. But we can also be sure he taught them what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's going to cost you dearly, but it's worth every penny. It's worth everything. There's nothing greater in this life than to know Christ and to make him known to others. He warned them beforehand, and I'm convinced with all my heart, Because they were well-warned, when the affliction came, when the difficulty came, they didn't run for their lives, they didn't escape, they didn't go into despair and cry themselves to sleep for days and days and forget why they were even alive or what Christ has done for them and who he is and all that awaits them in glory. Instead of that, they were warned and they saw the affliction come and said, ah, I think uh, this is what Paul was talking about, wasn't it? Okay, the affliction is here. What did he tell us to do? Yeah, stand firm. Okay, take up what? The, uh, the shield of faith. Our little girl re- learned about the shield of faith at the VBS, and she always says, take off the shield of faith. We say, no, no, don't take it off. Take up the shield of faith. Don't take it off. Uh, 
they took up the shield of faith, they stood firm. They held their ground, and a little time had passed. The, the persecution was gone, and their faith was going out. It was exploding. Paul even comments about that. Your faith is heard all around in that region. They endured it well, I believe, because they were well discipled from the beginning, warned about how to endure suffering. The question is for us, are, do we see things that way as well or not? And then he closes, he says, When I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, that somehow the tempter had tempted you and your lab- our labor among you would be in vain. And that's why we have this letter today, and that's why we have uh, these words and these things to consider. But as we close today, just a few thoughts. Um, number one, I would encourage us all, simply this, forget not that persecution exists. Seal it into your heart. Seal it into your mind. It is a reality in a fallen world. There is an enemy of the church of Jesus Christ. Persecution is a real thing, and uh, it could even intensify here in the States. It it seems to be the case that Christians nowadays here are not so much appreciated, because we are the only ones who oppose certain things that they're trying to push on all of us. Uh, we need to have a firm foundation of this as well. Forget not that persecution exists. And if, even if you're not experiencing it today, many of us are probably not, be mindful. I would encourage all of us somewhere around the world today, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are experiencing persecution. It is the reality today. When they gather on the Lord's Day to worship, somebody's on guard making sure no one's going to suicide bomb or something like this or making sure the pastor gets there safely and nobody kidnaps him. These kinds of things do happen. Forget not. Persecution exists. As we close, uh, second uh, thought for us to take with us today, I would encourage all of us to see afflictions in light of God's sovereignty. What do we mean by this? See afflictions in light of God's sovereignty. I simply would ask us to remember that Satan, uh, he's, he's working, trying to hinder the gospel, right? He works to cause disciples of Jesus to be moved away from the church, away from Jesus Christ, he roams around like a roaring lion, we read in 1 Peter chapter 5, actively seeking to devour those who distance themselves from the body of Christ. The lions in the wilderness, we don't have them here, but in Africa, we watch the videos on TV, we've seen it. They usually don't go for the, the big guys in the middle of the herd, or anybody in the middle of the herd. They go for the one with the afflicted leg, the wounded leg, or the little ones that are distancing themselves, feeling comfortable apart from the body of believers, we could argue. Those who distance themselves, easy targets. The enemy has a way to easily devour them. So in, uh, in afflictions, remember uh, God's sovereignty. Satan has a purpose in them for you. It's not for your good. But God has a purpose in them as well. God uses affliction to fortify our faith, to strengthen it, to draw us closer to him in the body of Christ. It's for our sanctification as well. Often we want to see God, the Holy Spirit, do marvelous and wonderful things, and we forget one of the most marvelous things is how he's sanctifying us, changing us within, helping us to see things in light of the gospel, to endure afflictions, to resist temptations. And every time we do those things, God really is glorified. We are salt and light in this world, a form of preservation in our world. Every time we simply choose to obey God and do what is right, to stand firm, it's a light to those all around us. Lastly, we close with this idea here. Be part of God's solution. Be part of God's solution. What do we mean by that? Uh, We see here that uh, Paul decided it's not good that these guys are left alone. I'm troubled about that. But I'm not going to fret about it. I'm not going to go uh, just forget them either. I'm going to care. And I'm going to give up something to help them. Make sure they're doing well. He gave up Timothy. 
He found a way to be part of the solution. And that's true for all of us as disciples of Jesus Christ. We're to work together to establish and exhort one another. There's a cost to this, but it is our high calling. Paul was willing to be left alone. He sent Timothy. All of us can do different things to be part of God's solution. So just a closing thought, though. Uh, how are you seeing your afflictions today? Consider whatever it is the Lord has you to endure today. How are you seeing it? Is it overwhelming you? Are you in a dark tunnel of despair? Or are you mindful God is working in it too for your good? I would encourage you to acknowledge God's goodness in whatever you're enduring today. And lastly, in what direction are you being moved by your afflictions today? Consider whatever it is you're enduring today, whatever you're going through. Is it pushing you away from the body of Christ, away from regular prayer and scripture reading, or closer to Christ? And my exhortation to you would be uh, for all of us to be moved closer to the body of Christ, closer to Jesus Christ, uh, and to link arms with our brothers and sisters to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive and it is active and it is sharper than a two-edged sword. And we thank you that your spirit is at work. Your word is accompanied by your spirit still today. We thank you, Lord reminding us of what it means uh, to live in this fallen world, how to be sober-minded in, in this world, how to live in, in light of the gospel, the good news. And ultimately, Jesus, we thank you that you endured the greatest of all afflictions when you went to the cross, innocent, without sin, taking our sins upon you, taking the wrath of God the Father upon you so that we could be saved, so that we could be redeemed. And then, empowered by your Spirit, we as well, can be salt and light in this world as you commanded us to be, and we can endure afflictions. We can work together to be part of what you're doing in this world, to see one another built up, your church edified, and the gospel going forward with great power and glory. And uh, so help us to live in light of all these truths today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.